0: Welcome to the Katie Halber Show. Very excited about today's show. It's going to be wonderful. We have talking to us Omali Ishitela, chairman of the African Socialist International and the African People's Socialist Party. He founded the Burning Spear newspaper in 1968, which still exists. He's been a longtime advocate for reparations and participated in the International Tribunal on Reparations for African People, which was held in Brooklyn, New York, in 1982. And he founded the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement in 1991. So excited to be talking to him. So without further ado, let's just bring him onto the virtual stage. Hello.
1: Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Good, you? Uhuru.
0: Uhuru. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. Can you just start out telling us what happened to you and your offices July 29th?
1: At five o'clock in the morning here, Central uh, Time, I'm in St. Louis right now, a loud racket up in front of my house uh, that uh, included uh, this voice on, on a loudspeaker uh, commanding uh, me uh, and everybody who was in the house to come out uh, with our hands raised and empty. And, uh, and then flashbang grenades began to explode all around the house and I was to learn later that it actually penetrated the, the rear stairwell of the house and had, had, uh, had thrown uh, flashbang grenades there as well. And uh, so uh, I asked, asked my wife to, uh, to let me go out first and that she should try and, and call and let people know that we were being raided by the FBI. And so uh, I went downstairs first. I I was to learn later that our phones were jammed, had been jammed and we couldn't get anybody on the phone. So I went downstairs first. And when I opened the door, I was greeted uh, by these targeting darts darts that were attached to automatic weapons in my chest. And uh, there were several of them. And there was, uh, uh, an armored vehicle in front of the in front of my house, and uh, this voice was uh, saying, "Come out, come out, uh, move forward toward me, and with your hands held high." And so I followed the command. And my wife, on her way out, following me, coming down the stairwell, uh, she was greeted uh, by a drone that almost hit her in the face, uh, going up the stairs uh, to and to our home. And so when I got out the uh, I was zip-tied, immediately I was zip-tied. My wife was handcuffed uh, behind her back uh, and uh, I'm inquiring what is going on, why is this happening? And I'm told they have a search warrant uh, that I never did see uh, until, uh, and I asked to see it and they uh, rather conveniently or not didn't have it in their immediate possession. So I didn't see the search warrant until hours later uh, when I was able to come back into my home and find uh, the search warrant on the table there. In the meantime, uh, in the uh, South St. Louis, which is predominantly white area of the city, uh, that where we've established offices uh, filled with the uh, uh, African People Solidarity Committee, which is an organization of white people who Do mostly reparations work, but also basic solidarity work with the struggle for African liberation. Uh, Their office uh, was being raided, and uh, battering rams were used. The same kind of command about come out—that this is the FBI—they used uh, flashbang grenades uh, in the place. Uh, They they stuck a video. They stuck uh, tape uh, on the video camera, so uh, in an attempt to. uh, mass their activities, even though we were able to get some of that um, and they went uh, to the department of apartment upstairs. they held uh two a young couple at gunpoint uh these are two of the leaders in the solidarity movement at gunpoint at the same time uh they had gone to the home of uh two of the solidarity leaders uh and they had uh bang knocked their doors in uh and held them also uh uh, at gunpoint, detained them at gunpoint. And the same time in, in St. Petersburg, Florida, where it was six o'clock Eastern time, they uh, used battling ramps, knocked the doors in that uh, Uhura house, our office there. Uh, and uh, they took our radio station briefly off the air. Uh, they raided our archives and took some of the materials from there. Uh, and uh, they went to the residence of uh, another person who uh, has been uh, characterized as an unindicted co-conspirator. Young woman, they went to her house, uh, her resident, and they uh, uh, they used the Saint Petersburg police to tell her, knock on the door, tell her that a car was being broken into, and that uh, she should come out and look at it. And when she went outside, the FBI came from around this van and what have you, uh, and they used that as an excuse to get into her vehicle to take take her cell phone. They they took my cell phone, they took the phone from my wife, they took, uh, uh, they stole uh, uh, computers, they stole iPads, uh, and they did a similar thing to uh, our office in St. Petersburg, Florida. They stole financial records uh, for the various uh, 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 community uh, development programs that we are responsible for and in, uh, in, in St. Louis and, and St. Petersburg and Philadelphia and Oakland, California, et cetera. They took all of that stuff. And uh, so uh, that was what happened on that day. I, I, I continued asking ask them why, why this was happening. And they said that, uh, I said, well, if you have a warrant, why am I handcuffed? And they said it's for, for your protection and ours. And... Uh, they invited me, gave me the right to sit on a curb. Uh, and then uh, when I refused to do that, they told me I can sit in the back of their car. And I wasn't interested in doing that either. Uh, they told me that I should, uh, uh, if I wanted to get my phones back quickly, I should take the, I should open the phone so they could access it. And uh, they said the same thing to my wife, who refused to open the phones. Uh, and continued to say, uh, we don't wanna be here. Can I leave? Can I leave? And so finally uh, uh, he said, you can leave. Uh, So I started to walk away and uh, either one of us, me and my wife uh, said, well, what about our cars? We can take the car. So they were really nice (laughs) in the sense that they said, well, where are your car keys? And they went upstairs to find the car keys where they were located, brought the car keys down and uh, so we were able to leave, but uh, we had been unable to contact anybody, like I said, because our phones had been jammed. And so uh, we were isolated like that. Before we left, they, they said that uh, they, they, they had the search warrant because uh, an indictment was going to be dropped later uh, that morning uh, of a Russian, Russian national, and that uh, my name uh, was in that indictment. And so uh, that was what it was about. I was I was to learn uh, that uh, there was some allegation that um, that uh, that I was on the payroll of Russia. That the work that I've been doing now for sixty years or so, and fifty years with the African People's Socialist Party, uh, um, or if not that duration of it, recently uh, you know uh, been paid by the Russians to do that. And that, uh, and it had to do uh, with, uh, with the elections, uh, that we had run two uh, campaigns, uh, uh, well, actually about uh, about four, uh, a total of four campaigns, one in, uh, two in 2017, two in 2019 in St. Petersburg, Florida. And they wanted to say that uh, we were doing this at the behest of the Russians and and possibly that we were paid by the Russians to do this, you know, et cetera, and uh, that the Russians had paid us, uh, I think, an allegation to do some other just ridiculous uh, kind of thing. And it's, it's absolutely and totally nonsensical, I mean, because like uh, I'm saying that the African People's Socialist Party just... Uh, celebrated our 50th anniversary uh, in May of this year. We've been here for 50 years. I've been doing this work for nearly 60 years or so. Uh, and, and and nobody's ever had to pay me to do this work. In fact, for most of my life, for most of my activity, I haven't been paid anything. And uh, I, it's only uh, in a recent period, uh, over the last several years, that I've even developed a capacity to... Uh, receive some kind of compensation to so to stay alive while I've done this work, and uh, and so it's just a uh, just a ridiculous characterization of uh, of uh, what my political activity is about, and what political activity of the Uhuru movement and the African People's Socialist Party uh, is all about. So it's a ridiculous charge, in on the face of it,
0: and we're going to get into more about what the African People's Socialist Party is about, what the Uhuru movement is about. But before we do that, I just wanted, I have video that I, I used from Burning Spear Media, which is your media organization. Can we just, Brad, uh, show some of that video? I want to make sure viewers get a sense of, um, of what it looked like for, for you all. And if you want to say anything about what's happening. Yeah, this
1: is St. Louis. This is after the raid. I'm, I'm out of the house now. This is broken glass in the rear. Uh, stairwell of my home, and I, I initially didn't know it. They had entered broken uh, glass, knocked the door in, used uh, flashbang grenades in the stairwell that plaster all over the place. And this is, uh, the, uh, uh, this is a duplex. Part of it is right here uh, that was empty at the time, but you can see some of the damage that was done, uh, damage to windows, blinds down. Uh, there's a board that's up there uh, covering uh, uh, the window. Uh, they had damaged doors uh, there uh, as well, and uh, uh, so that's that's part of it. And uh, and this is the armored vehicle, but you don't you have no sense of the number of uh, of them that were out uh, at in front of this house at the time. And like I said, even when I was standing there talking to them, flashbang grenades were uh, continuously uh, exploding. Uh, uh, around uh, the house and uh, in that immediate
0: vicinity. These are the doors? Yeah, this is the door.
1: Uh, I'm not quite, oh yeah, this is, uh, looks like it's uh, either the front door to my house or to the door next it, the duplex there, where the, you can see how the how the door's been knocked in. Again, the armored vehicle. This is St. Petersburg, Florida, the our house there. This is them uh, at the front of the of the Rural House building in St. Petersburg, Florida. They've breached uh, uh, the gate there. Now they're breaching the, the front door, uh, the entrance door. This is some of the damage and this is some of them.
0: Look how many there are.
1: They're, they're, I mean, it's hard to believe the number of forces they've put there. Jesus. This is the sort of the uh, reception area. Um, and this is where they were cameraing uh, using tape. They used the St. Petersburg Police Department blocked off. Uh, uh, in the background there, you can see the Hura House. These are financial uh, uh, drawers uh, that they had gone through, taking our records and what have you from there.
0: There's a picture of you, right? Yes. That got knocked over, I guess. Doing the same thing then that I'm doing now. And that was a long time ago. Another door broken down. Then this is them leaving your house. Uh,
1: this is my this is the home I have in St. Petersburg. Nobody's there, because I mean this is in Florida. So they raided the empty house in Florida. They took uh, devices. This is uh the car of Achille uh Nae who they tricked to come out so that they could uh they could take her uh her cell phone from her. That's in St. Petersburg, Florida. And this is the uh Solidarity Reparation Center on the south side of St. Louis. This is them coming in. To
0: so the Solidarity House?
1: Yeah, Solidarity Center, yes.
0: What is that white that stuff that's like flying around? It's
1: debris coming from the flashbang grenades.
0: Jesus. What was running through your head when this was happening?
1: Well, when I came out of, of my house in St. Louis. What was running through my head was December 4th, 1969, when the FBI uh, aided the Chicago Police Department in murdering Fred Hampton at four o'clock in the morning. And uh, so, you know, when I walk out and and, uh, my chest is covered uh, with these uh, targeting dots, you know, from automatic weapons, and I thought they were going to kill me right there. Uh, My wife thought they were going to kill me and us, you know, as well. So that was the first thing that went through my mind—that that uh, that, uh, that they were going to assassinate me—and uh, uh, you know there was no warning, there was no "hey, we you know we'll want to talk to you" or anything like that. And it was uh, it was hard to understand uh, some aspects of what was going on because it certainly uh, when they talked about they had a search warrant. Uh, obviously, they didn't need armored vehicles and and turning off our phones and flashbang grenades and all these things to serve serve a a search warrant. Uh, So um, uh, it was clear that uh, whatever they were saying, it was not connected to what they were doing, that they uh, were making an assault on us and they were using um, uh, some uh, law, some uh, very old Law that they've used against uh, people, you know, like uh, W. E. B. Du Bois, for example, was charged with the very same thing, and and uh, so they've used this and other kinds of laws like that to uh, uh, to uh, break the back of our movement. I mean, so I knew uh, that that an objective of this was to was to crush the movement. I didn't know uh, the specifics of what it was that they were up to at that moment.
0: And can you talk more about the W. E. B. Du Bois? Sorry.
1: Yeah, W.E.B. Du Bois, nice. uh, in 1951, uh, he uh, was charged with the very same thing, uh, indicted for the very same thing, and actually went to trial. And uh, he was acquitted on the trial. He traveled all over, you know, speaking out, uh, similar, to me, uh, similar to what I'm doing now, just in terms of speaking out about what's going on. So he he was able to be acquitted, but uh, they, they ruined him in terms of... Uh, economics. They t- had taken his passport. They gave it back to him after he was acquitted and he traveled to Ghana. But when he got to Ghana, they took his passport again. So he couldn't back- come back uh, to the country. Uh, and Dubois was, you know, uh, whatever else he might be counterized, but, you know, we consider Dubois a liberal of sorts, you know, and, uh, uh he played a really important role, uh, in the FBI attack on Marcus Garvey that had happened, uh, you know, earlier, uh, Uh, In the century, and he played that really important role uh, for that. And and of course, the FBI, uh, under the color of law, Garvey had done this incredible thing: built, you know, an organization from six to eleven million African people around the world, had created economic uh, entities similar to what we are uh, emulating right now, had actually purchased steamship lines for Africans to trade with each other globally, had had uh, uh, created ambassadors traveling around the world and intervened at the uh, uh, League of Nations uh, conference in 1919 when they were discussing uh, what was going to be done with parts of Africa, making their declaration that Africa for Africans at home and abroad. So they attacked Garvey, FBI, uh, said that he defrauded, used the mail to defraud the people uh, uh, with selling stock for the for the steamship line that he had. So, you know, this is like been a sort of a history that, that we've seen. And then Du Bois, uh, they took uh, Paul Robeson, as you know. Uh, it's really interesting about Robeson because he went uh, to the United Nations with a petition uh, 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 to charge the United States with genocide uh, against African people here. So uh, they attacked him, they brought him before the House of Un American Activities, and what, and, uh, you know, are you now? Have you ever been, you know, like a member of the Communist Party of USA? They, they did a, a real serious uh, attack on him. And that's just the history of it. I mean, you know, I'm mentioning these relatively well-known people, but the FBI, uh, as you know, uh, with his counterintelligence program that uh, targeted what they call Black nationalist hate groups, the hounding of Martin Luther King that they did, that uh, they tried to get King to commit suicide. Uh, what they did to uh, Malcolm X and, and uh, you know, and they declared in 1969 that the, that the Black Panther Party was the greatest threat to the internal security of the United States. So this is the history of that relationship. That's why I think it's really important for us uh, not to accept, you know, the way this thing has been framed uh, by the government and government media, uh, uh it's 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 a history there that, that's not addressed at all, and that's extremely problematic.
0: And so what did they go after Du Bois for though? I'm still not clear.
1: They said that he was an agent of the Soviet Union. Ah, okay. Soviet Russia, if you will. So Russia is still like a, a factor there. Yeah.
0: And wanted to ask you about your own past a little bit. We'll get deeper into the politics and deeper into your organization, but I wanted to go back to 1966. At this point, you're the vice chairman of the Florida Front of SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. You're in St. Petersburg, and the City Hall of St. Petersburg has this mural that was made in 1945. Brad, can we show an image of this mural? So it's this mural that's a pretty offensive, racist, stereotypical scene with the big lips and the white paint on the lips. Tell us what you did to this mural in December of 1966.
1: Well, this was a, uh, an eight by ten foot mural on the on the wall of that of that government building, and we complained about it. And, and the mayor told us that our, our minorities have to become less sensitive to, you know, this kind of stuff. And and uh, everybody knows I'm not a racist, etc., or something to that effect. And we couldn't get any relief. And so on one occasion, December 29th, I think it was, uh, we had organized a march uh, to the the city hall uh, to uh, complain about that and uh, about the economic uh, uh, exploitation of the community, how the city government was involved in getting $50 million uh, from the federal government. They get this money and and, uh, that's supposed to, be helpful to the African community in terms of, of dealing with blight and things like that. And instead, they were going to uh, use it to beautify uh, downtown St. Petersburg. So we were complaining about that as well. And so we had this demonstration. And uh, when we got to the city hall, uh, we people were standing on the steps, uh, speaking out from the steps, uh, uh, complaining about the condition that African people were experiencing there. And, um, you know, uh, a little old uh, lady was uh, talking and she was laughed at by the reporters and by the police and... um,
0: She was a black woman, right? The old lady was a black woman? Yeah, she was a black woman.
1: And, uh, uh, you know, uh, they didn't appreciate, you know, like her command of the English language and they were laughing at her. And so it was. I found it just... uh, the humiliation is just too much. This old woman and everything that she and black women uh, and people like her have had to endure, and all she wanted to do is she was just complaining of how people, black people, pay all of our money into these insurance companies, buying insurance, and then when something happens, somebody dies, they lose their money. That's what she was talking about, and the police and the reporters were laughing. So. You know, I turned and and marched into uh, the city hall and this young brother, uh, Jody Walls, who was only 17 at the time, he came with me. And uh, I I tore the mural down from the wall and we began to march uh, through the city of St. Petersburg with the mural. And this was like the first uh, actually direct action uh, of the Black Power Movement that happened in this country. I say first direct action, I mean, you have to remember that the Black Power Movement itself uh, was born out of the Civil Rights Movement through the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And, uh, uh, and so, and SNCC was uh, well-known for direct action. That was one of the things that characterized it, it was an organization primarily of young people, although uh, Sister Ella Baker, who was the key uh, to uh, organizing, uh, she was not as young. Uh, she would, wouldn't have been considered young. So, uh, we were we marched down the streets with it, and they they arrested us. They arrested um, uh, six of us all together, and uh, and put us uh, locked us up. Uh, they charged me with eleven different offenses, one of which was a felony. At least one of which was a felony, and uh, they uh, convicted me on one or two misdemeanors, and then charged me. Uh, and tried me on a felony charge of grand larceny for the theft of the mural, and uh, sentenced me to five years in prison. And so I did, uh, you know, uh, about two and a half years in and out on appeal bond on that, on that particular charge. Uh, yeah, so that that's 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 what that was about. And then uh, later, the Supreme Court would rule. Uh, that uh, that uh, that double jeopardy uh, would have occurred if what my lawyer had put forth as uh, a description of events there, and they they uh, they removed uh, the sentence and then remanded uh, the trial back, remanded the case back to uh, the Pinellas County for them to uh, make a decision of whether or not uh, what was said to have occurred actually did occur in terms of uh, uh, the trial uh, and it being double jeopardy. And uh, uh, the panelist of said, no, that's not what happened. So the court had resolved this entity, this issue that it wanted to resolve. I had had been uh, tried once uh, for destruction of public property as a misdemeanor. Then they tried me uh, for grand larceny and it was grand larceny by destruction of the property. So uh, this was a contradiction that the court needed resolving. And they used my case to resolve that so that it was grand larceny if that happened. And so they took it back to, uh, remanded the case back to uh, Florida, and they said, no, that's not what happened. So they had resolved that, got rid of the double double jeopardy thing, still on the books, Today uh, uh, dealing with that, and then they tried me again, and then uh, this time they tried, convicted me, and sentenced me to three years in prison. So uh, I was in and out of prison around that uh, case uh, until 1973, uh, when finally, uh, because we had developed a significant enough kind of movement, and things uh, were happening in various places around uh, the uh, the country and the world uh, that. It became uh, perhaps a bit of an albatross around the neck, and so they decided that um, they would uh, just sentence me to time serve and forget about it. So that's how, that's how that happened. But I think that that you know really what's what's I think extremely important here, and I this is one of the reasons I think that we really need an army, a battery of lawyers around this case because. It's clearly a political assault that's being made on, on, on me, on the African people's socialist party, who mm-hmm. the movement. And uh, one of the things that I really want to uh, pull attention to is, if you remember, uh, it was in 1965 that the Voting Rights Act was passed in this country, and uh, it was in 1964 that I became, you know, extremely uh, involved in voting rights issues and questions in the state of Florida. Uh, and, uh, and by 1960, uh, in fact, I, I ran somebody's campaign uh, in 1964. Uh, and but but this, the people were being killed just for trying to vote uh, in this country. Black people were, you know, churches bombed, children killed, assassinations were occurring, that kind of thing. In 1965, 66, I was doing voter registration work uh, throughout Florida. In fact, uh, some irony is in the fact that I worked, I had about six counties in in North Florida in a program that was uh, actually sponsored uh, by Vernon Jordan, who had been a leader of the uh, uh, core Congress of Racial Equality and then who became a pals with the Clintons and did something with that blue dress of Monica Lewinsky. so I uh, headed this, uh, I was this northern Florida, I had about six counties, and I worked, uh, I was in Madison, Florida, uh, where a mob of white people tried to murder me just for trying to register Black people to vote. Um, I was in uh, uh, Florida, in Alachua County, Florida, uh, where the uh, county sheriff uh, wanted to arrest me and frighten off people I was taking to register to vote. So I've been involved, like, with this and the Voting Rights Rights Act again, 1965, which was supposed to be uh, uh, allowing African people the right to vote. Uh, But it wasn't just like that. I mean, we were running into terror uh, all around, you know, uh, the country, and particularly in the South, uh, trying to do that. So uh, then we uh, see, uh, even in 1963, if you remember, with the uh, the The march on Washington in 1963, uh, where uh, uh, they actually forced uh, the one they love to love today uh, to change his speech. Uh, He was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee uh, at the time. He is the one about good trouble. What's the fellow's name? You know what I'm talking about, good trouble and uh, down noise. You know, he was forced to change his speech at that march in Washington, because he had asked the question of the United States government, which side are you on? That was in the speech. And he had to change that speech. He couldn't make that speech. He couldn't include that in the speech. So the voting rights thing was supported by the liberals and what have you, uh, but the voting meant that we could get the right to vote, uh, but the, the political line that we took, you know, could not be one that challenged the US. You gotta remember at the time, uh, the U.S. was engaged in a huge struggle, uh, not only inside the United States, but it was being judged by peoples of the world uh, in terms of the system uh, the of the murder, brutality of African people, and it was in this contest with uh, Soviet Russia, in particular, and, uh, and 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 to a lesser extent with China, about uh, which was the preferable system. And uh, so, uh, to have the United States government doing these kinds of things made it really important for them to. Achieve some kind of resolution about the right black people to vote. Otherwise, the hypocrisy of the democracy that's being talked about was uh, was going to be hard to, uh, to conceal. So that that was in the 1960s. I was involved in that struggle and very serious. I registered people to vote. I organized throughout the state of Florida uh, for the right for people uh, to vote. Uh, later on, uh, by 1972, I ran for office myself in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I wasn't running as a serious candidate, but I ran uh, because the, the United States government was still trying to put me in prison because of the mural charge from them. And so I wanted to give them uh, you know, a situation where they have to arrest me as a candidate you know, for office. Uh, but I did run for office. We did engage in electoral politics. We ran other people for office on a regular basis. We did that within the electoral process. But the thing I wanted to point out is that uh, historically, the right to Af- for African people to vote and participate in an election has been something that's been, uh, been under assault uh, by by uh, private citizens, uh, by uh, by state uh, governors and and militia, uh, by county sheriffs and what have you. And now what we have is a situation since nineteen since two thousand seventeen. The uh, Black is Black Coalition for Social Justice, Peace, and Reparations that uh, I organize uh, has been uh, teaching in communities how to participate in electoral politics and along with how to participate, the techniques, how to run for office, how to put things on the ballot, uh, how to do recalls and do all these other things uh, and include what will be on the ballot issue of reparations. There are certain places you can pass initiative, put initiatives on the ballot, you do that. Uh, We'd run elections in 1980s, you know, uh, around land reform and things like that in Oakland, California. So this is the electoral process that we are using. And uh, what we're looking at now is that uh, the FBI attacks us and they use the reason for attacking us. Part of it is somehow it's the Russians who are paying us to run for office. And it just seems to me, I can't make a distinction, uh, except for the severity of the explosion in what happened in Birmingham when they murdered those little children uh, with the bomb uh, because Black people want to vote. And what they were doing all around this country with the fact that right now, as we have this discussion, uh, there are more than 400 pieces of legislature of uh, uh, circulating throughout this country to minimize the right of black people to vote. And then in 18 states, this has already occurred. And now the FBI attacks us around voting. And they're, they're not saying that we, they're attacking us around voting because of a segregation today and segregation tomorrow and segregation forever, like George Wallace, they're not saying that. They're using some other spurious uh, claim to attack that. And it seems to me, if nothing else, this is what we're talking about a battery of lawyers and it seems to me, if nothing else, the FBI is violating the Voting Rights Act of 1965, just like they did when they bombed the church in Birmingham, just like they have, uh, well, that was before 65, but just like they have done subsequent to prevent black people from being able to vote. And so this was an attack on, on and when we talk about the elections in 19, in 2017, uh, 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 in St. Petersburg, Florida, what was, what, what was that campaign around? Reparations. It was around gentrification of black communities and things like that. And we did a similar thing uh, uh, in 2019. And then we've done the same kind of campaign here in St. Louis. We ran for, for, for five years in a row. We've been able, teaching people who are not part of the political establishment, to participate in elections, running on some of these same principles. And then we get attacked by the FBI with the claim that it's not we, you know, we, we don't know what it is that we want. The Russians are paying us to do this. And just like we were outside agitators, and I've been an outside agitator before, anytime somebody comes in and organizes among our people, it's not what we want. It's, what, it's some other external force that they can, you know, point a finger to. So I, I just wanted to point that out, uh, Katie.
0: Yeah, I mean, Susan, we heard Susan Rice say something like that about Black Lives Matter, George Floyd protests. She suggested it could have been the Russians. We heard Kamala Harris say that Colin Kaepernick taking a knee was the Russians. So that is alive and well, and people actually say it out loud.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's interesting, too, because Kamala Harris, if I'm not mistaken, was one of those uh, Negro politicians who, were, who was influenced uh, by our 2017 program uh, uh, elections calling for reparations because uh, she and a couple of others then had to raise the reparation issue because it had become such a significant and popular issue uh, 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 on the agenda now. So, yeah. So, yeah, all of them, it's always the Russians or somebody else, but not us. We, we are not smart enough to I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Macron uh, is having that is Emmanuel Macron in France uh, is having a very difficult time because he uh, some less than two weeks after what happened to us, he was uh, uh, in Cameroon uh, and France controls something like 14 different entities that they call countries absolutely and stealing all the resources that historically so masses of black people have been turning against France and telling France to get the hell out of Africa. So Macron was in this huge mass meeting. (laughs) I think it was in Cameroon. And he was telling the people that it's the Russians who are telling you this, that it's Russia that's responsible for the attitude that you have. It's Russian social media, it's Russian agents and things like that. And you should, you should, you can Google that, by the way. That's, uh, and you should have seen the outrage from the mass of the people who are in that meeting we don't need russians to tell us what france has done to us all this time and that's a fundamental contradiction you know that's out there so we're not smart enough to know that we are uh, afflicted by colonial terror and oppression and even to uh, utilize the electoral process they, they they will even shut that down say so you can't use the electoral process if you're doing it and you are raising issues that's important to black people then it must be the Russians or somebody else. What happened to the presumption of free speech after the Emancipation Proclamation and certainly after uh, these passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1966? What happened to any of that stuff? You know, uh, it's out of the window and they assume to be able to get away with it because just like segregation was legal uh, in the South up until passes of these various kinds of laws uh, now this whole notion that they can use the law uh, to justify oppression and even to say black people cannot participate even in the electoral process on our own terms. We can't say anything about Africa. We can't say anything about reparations. We can't say anything about genocide. We can't say anything about what's happened to us as a people. We have to total line. And if we total line, it's all right. And so anyway, that's part of what uh, what, uh, what occurred. Uh-huh.
0: There's an image Brad just put in, which is from 1933 Alabama, which speaks to what you're talking about. So this is a poster that says, Negroes beware. Do not attend communist meetings. Paid organizers for the communists are only trying to get Negroes in trouble. Alabama is a good place for good Negroes to live in, but is a bad place for Negroes who believe in social equality. The Ku Klux Klan is watching you take heed. Tell the communist leaders to leave. Report all communist meetings to the Ku Klux Klan.
1: So, so they're they're saying that there is this secret organization that's watching you. That was in the 30s. The secret organization called itself the Klan. We're watching you. And if anybody says anything to you, report it to the Klan. And this is more or less the same message that we're seeing now there's somebody watching you. And if you don't say uh, the right things today, Negroes, uh, this is uh, what can be an outcome. You'll come at five o'clock in the morning if it's not four. Uh, like it was when they killed Fred Hampton.
0: And so where are you now? I don't know how much you can reveal about the case, but where are you now in your legal trouble? Well, the struggle
1: is to continue to be struggling around this question of lawyers. It really is a kind of serious issue. I mean, we're talking to, I think you may have uh, been helpful in uh, at least uh, having a lawyer that we can talk to. So we're involved in that. And uh, uh, we have had a meeting. Uh, I don't know if you were in that meeting we had uh, last Saturday. There were about uh, 150 people from various places around the United States and the world uh, who indicated they want to participate in this. And we're not treating it like uh, some kind of typical uh, defense thing because we think that we have to fight back. Uh, We, you know, and, and, and so we actually call it sort of a counteroffensive offensive that we engaged in. So uh, we still, we have to raise a lot of money, um, a lot of money because the lawyers are gonna cost a lot of money. And uh, we're looking at two different states uh, where we are having uh, like to fight from. And also, again, it's, we're not gonna be helped by only responding to what their narrative is. We're going to have to be able to fight back and to initiate our own counteroffensive, even in the legal assi- system. So they they need to be able to explain how they can be attacking black people around the right to vote under whatever color they want to use it with. You know, for that, that's what they did when they came and 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 bombed my house and stole our devices and what have you. Now I'm hearing that the reason they're doing that is because somebody told us. to run for office and paid us to run for office. And that's the same kind of stuff that that 1933, 1950s garbage that was spewed when people named themselves for whom whom they were. And they say, this is the Klan. We are some white nationalist organization that's telling black people, you can't vote. If you vote, this is what will happen to you. And, And that's exactly what they're saying now. And there's enough sentiment in this country among sectors of the population. I mean, think about this even if they tell this ridiculous story about us, nobody is commenting. They're not commenting on the fact that um, not only did mobs of white people attack the Capitol to try to overthrow the government and chase the vice president through the halls, talking about hanging him. they're not even talking about that. But they're not even talking about the fact that there are more than 400 pieces of legislation that's circulating uh, in state uh, capitals throughout this country that's designed to minimize the ability of African people to, pay, to participate in the elections, and that 18 of those states, including the state of Florida, have already passed legislation minimizing the ability of Black people to vote. That's not even on the agenda. Somehow, you raise up this question: Black people who only recently achieved what's supposed to be the right to vote in this country—we are the ones. We Black people died, you know, uh, to go to to register to join the Joe Biden's Democratic Party. Black people's churches were bombed to join Joe Biden's Democratic Party. And and, and now his administration is is committing the same kinds of offenses that have been committed against us since George Wallace and every other reactionary in this country. And he's saying that, okay, you can vote, but you can only vote and put on the agenda what we want you to talk about. If you do something other than that, because the Russians or some other external force told you to do it. And they can use that as the basis of torture, murder, mayhem, stealing your resources, bombing your houses, threatening yourself and your wife and family. This is what you can do. This is, this is what is being pursued right now in broad daylight. People see this. And people in this country are not stupid. They know the history that Black people have with America. And to say that, OK, suddenly I believe that all of the time these suffering, oppressed Black people whose labor went to this developing the entire economy of this country on stolen Indian land that somehow they are the problem. People know better than that. And, and the country is split in a thousand different ways and we didn't do it. We didn't do January 6th. The black people, the African people's socialist party and Omari Ishitela did not do January 6th. We did not attack the Capitol. We did not chase that white man through uh, the Capitol saying, hang, the, hang the vice president. We didn't do that. And uh, we didn't put our feet up on on Nancy Pelosi's desk before she went on this provocative uh, tour to China. We didn't defecate uh, in the the offices uh, of the congresspersons. We didn't do that. And yet somehow, suddenly black people who've done all this suffering and fighting uh, to actually uh, just for the right to vote, somehow we are the threat to the electoral process, just like. Just like the Black Panther Party has, was the, defined as the greatest threat to internal security of the United States, what kind of security is is it? Well, you've got, you know, they've sent at least easily accounted for 60 billion dollars to Ukraine alone. You got this huge military apparatus and what have you, and you're deploying it on Red Bud Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri, to the most oppressed sub- sector of of the population and perhaps one of the most uh, deep economically depressed places in the country. It doesn't make any sense. It says, it says, you know, what we have to do—that's so really very much important—is—is—is uh, is, is help the people to focus on the reality. You—you you can't understand a, a, a process by just looking at where it is at this moment. You gotta investigate the history of that process. How did it get this? Why well, is—is it all of a sudden that that people are attacking black people for the right to vote? Is it? Sutton, is this really you know, incredible that the FBI would do this when every other entity in this country, uh, since electoral politics became something that uh, was possibly on the agenda, has moved to attack black people right to vote? And then what's different from the FBI has done? What's different from the deal that Republicans and the Democrats made in, 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 in 1876 and 77 that uh, with the with this uh, so-called uh, compromise that uh, took the troops the the troops in the south out of the south that were supposed to be able to protect black people, and the, and that lasted for almost a hundred years until 1966, with the civil rights passed the civil rights bill sixty five, with the passage of the voting right. When the FBI was supposed to be there helping us have the right to vote, and now my house is being bombed because they say I'm not voting right, or somehow uh, the what the, what George Wallace said was right, what the what Stennis in Mississippi said was right. That is some kind of outsiders who are responsible for Black people wanting to vote. This is the same line. There's no fundamental difference.
0: Are you afraid to talk about, well, you're not afraid, obviously, but I've been disturbed by how, if you say anything, you just mentioned the funding for Ukraine. If you say anything at all, questioning the support of a proxy war, you're then a Putinist, a shill for Putin. I wonder if another byproduct that people would like to see is to shut people up with attacks on you.
1: It is. A, it's part of that, I'm sure. But and, and lawyers are concerned about that, even though we haven't consolidated lawyers. They're telling me about talking. You know, because what the what the government is doing is they're making a political attack, and they are organizing around this this uh, this legal narrative. So that anything I say, not anything I say now, anything I've said over the last several years, anything of the texts and emails and videos and things like that they that they have uh, of from me. Uh, is something that they would use to create a narrative that would support uh, this, 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 these charges, these bogus charges that they... So that's real serious. I mean, uh, and it places me in a very precarious kind of situation. Uh, the question I'm confronted with is whether I shut up and not say anything about it, not fight back, not respond to it. Because uh, if I do that, then uh, it's like uh, having been assassinated or having been imprisoned because I assassinated and imprisoned myself. Uh, So the right to be able to talk about black people and the oppression of my people has been taken away from me because I've agreed to cooperate to that level. So it's a very it's a very uh, tenuous kind of situation. And for me, the fundamental question is all these people who proclaim a belief in First Amendment rights, belief in civil rights, uh, et cetera, and especially lawyers. We need you. Because what is happening now is what they were able to successfully do at certain times uh, in the history of the struggle in this country. They want to uh, deny us the right to access to the, uh, a full democratic uh, process uh, here. So they would drive people on the ground and, and force people into precipitous actions like armed struggles and stuff like that. I'm telling that we need people to step forward. We need lawyers and we don't have a lot of money. Our money goes to these programs that we've created for our community. We need people to make contributions. We need people to provide legal assistance here so that we can wage this struggle, because it ain't my struggle. It really isn't. It's for everybody who proclaims to believe or believe uh, in what, uh, what this country says is supposed to be about. And uh, it seems to me that's where a lot of the responsibility is.
0: Well, we are going to bring in another speaker, Alex Vitali, who is a sociologist. He is professor of sociology and coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center, and a visiting professor at London South Bank University. And he's the author of City of Disorder, How the Quality of Life Campaign Transformed New York Politics and The End of Policing. So, Alex, welcome.
2: Thanks, Katie. Nice to be here. Of course.
0: I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have both of you talk a little bit about the role of the FBI and the police and the potential abolition of both entities or either entity. You, of course, wrote a book, The End of Policing. What does that even mean, abolition, in this context?
2: Right. So... You know, abolition doesn't mean that there's some magical switch somewhere that if we just wanted to, we could just turn off all police and then figure out what comes next, right? This is about a long-range, long-term process of social transformation, and it begins by uh, campaigns that are designed to reduce the power and authority of law enforcement and replace it with better alternatives, so we've seen over the last few years, obviously, a huge amount of mobilization around this issue in terms of local policing. But we could also apply this to federal policing. I wrote a a piece of, a few years ago for the Nation uh, about abolishing the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration. It's basically they don't serve any positive social function. They're not saving any lives. They're not preventing anyone from experiencing harm. They're the, they're enforcing drug prohibition in a way that's deeply harmful, and that, that agency should just be eliminated. And similarly, we should look at the functions of the FBI. So, in a piece that I wrote for Truth Out the other day, after uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said, Defund the FBI, somehow I don't think this is what was bothering her that caused her to want to say that. <laughs> uh, you know, let's look at what the FBI really does political policing these kinds of trumped up war on terror investigations, the pa- enforcing the Patriot Act, but also they play a major role in enforcing the war on drugs, in enforcing a war on sex workers, enforcing a war on young people accused of, of being in gangs, being involved in violence. And all of this is not only ineffective, but actually counterproductive. And so instead of You know, falling into this liberal trap of, well, they're going after Trump, so, you know, we need them. We need to instead be pointing out, you know, the deep history of harm at the center of the FBI and the fact that uh, we don't need them to produce public safety.
0: I remember, Alex, you said to me once abolition is like what you see on the Upper East Side in New York City. So if you're in a private school and you do drugs, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to say, What did you do? Now let's go talk to the school therapist. Okay, now we're going to bring in your parents. Okay, now we're going to go to a, a rehab center. You know, there's so many steps that happen before the police are involved. And I think that one of the things that the Uhuru movement is doing, uh, the African People Socialist Party does, it is an abolitionist organization in that it creates a lot of alternatives for youth to engage in, in a way that I think probably prevents a lot of criminalization of young people.
2: Yeah, I think I think if you look at some of the programs that they're running in St. Louis, St. Louis is a city with a lot of abolitionists organizing the close the work campaign and a whole program around alternatives to policing that has a lot of community support there. What what's going on there is, you know, it's in the spirit of the Black Panther Party and the the delivery of direct services to the community as a way of building community cohesion, community power, and saying we don't need coercive negative state interventions, the police, to produce safe, healthy communities. We can do that ourselves if you will just give us the space to do this and possibly some resources. But I think most importantly, you know, quit undermining the community and the community will take positive steps on its own.
0: One of the things that we saw recently is this terrible attack on a man in Arkansas who is just being pummeled by the police. One of the things that you talk about in the end of policing is how things like that are not a bug, they're the system.
2: Right. Yeah, this is not some some aberration, right? That these kinds of beatings occur on a regular basis. Uh, We don't know all the details in this case, and we don't see on the video what happened just prior to the incident, but I think what we're dealing with here is a, a, a situation of contempt of cop or some kind of resistance to police authority, and that is dealt with through violence, quite typically. And look, we just need to look at what happened to Eric Garner, what happened to George Floyd. This could just as easily have turned into an outcome like that. Thankfully, it did not. But when police are confronted with resistance, they will escalate. No matter how much de-escalation training they have had, they're not going to allow someone to win a confrontation like that with them. And so one of the things we have to ask ourselves in this question is, you know, why is this even a police matter? Now, Now, of course, after they beat him up, they charged him with all these outrageous charges, which is typical when, when they beat someone up for contempt of cop. But really, he he was, you know, he was maybe menacing someone in a, uh, in a you know, fast food gro- grocery gas station type situation, which is not great. But I think that there's some indications that what we're dealing with here is basically a mental health problem that I'm sure has been untreated. And that instead of sending someone who could try to help deal with this person from a clinical perspective, we 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 send armed police who immediately overreact and escalate the situation.
0: Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Halper. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.